Welcome everybody. We're going to we're going to talk about the deep questions. That's what we're doing around here. We want to welcome you. My name's Tim. I'm the pastor here. Welcome if you're at our lock at our Homer campus. Welcome if you're at our New Linux campus. Welcome if you're watching online. Although if you're watching online from someplace warm, we hate you. <laughs> it's minus 1 right now and it's going to be minus 20 on Wednesday. So please just remember that hell is also going to be warm. That's all I can say. All right. Other than that, we're really glad you're here. Welcome, welcome. Glad you're here. Um, we're doing this Explore God thing, and uh, we're, we're talking about the deep questions, okay? And we're going to talk about the deepest one today, pain and suffering. This is, this is like the, the number one question. And we all have stuff that goes on in our life. We know we live in a broken world. Sometimes stuff doesn't go right. I looked online and found some fun pictures of life doesn't go right sometimes, right? I mean, you, you know, paint can blows up, the key breaks, right? You put the candle too close to your MacBook, the dog stuck his head in the fishbowl, doesn't know how to get it out. You know, you, you try to drive through the cement and it's, it's not hardened yet. You got a lobster, but you got him a little too close to your face. Um, my favorite is, uh, hey, mom, let's go on a roller coaster. Uh-oh, what happens if it gets stuck? They got to dig them out, right? I mean, we know that stuff goes on like this. Um, and, 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 you know, it's Murphy's Law, whatever you want to call it. We have bad stuff happen, and, and, except that, you know, that's not the real problem. The real problem is the deeper stuff. You know, the real problem is the cancer. The real problem is the, is the, is the, is the heart attack. The real problem is the tsunami. The real problem is, 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 is evil in our world, is murder. It's, you know, it, it's how do these things happen? Because the, the thing is, if you take a completely non-God approach, an atheistic approach, you don't have to worry about that because it's really just survival of the fittest, right? It doesn't matter. And if you take a, a, an Eastern religion viewpoint, a Hinduism viewpoint or Buddhism, you, you basically have karma and you get back what you put in. And so, you know, that, you don't have to answer that question. It's just karma. That's the way that it works. But if you take the, the view that we do of a personal God that, that loves us, then this question is the hardest one. It really creates a dilemma. And people have been asking this question for a long time. How can God be good and loving and there's still all this bad stuff going on? I mean, if he wants to stop evil but he can't, then, then he's, he's impotent. He's not that strong. If he can and he doesn't want to, then how can he be good? It's a legitimate question. And I, and I want to tell you that I don't believe in a wimpy God and I certainly don't believe in a mean God. I also don't believe we just take a little bit of God from here and there and all the religions and put them together. We got, you know, a little Mambo number five God going on, a little bit of Monica in my life. Well, that's, that's, not what, that's not my view. I believe in a good and a powerful God. So why doesn't he fix things? And the problem is, this is not a philosophical question. This is an emotional question. I mean, we could sit around and theorize about it all day long, but, but it's an emotional question. It was an emotional question for Jesus on the cross when, when he was there asking this question of pain and suffering. And we have to start there. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knew why. He knew the head answer. He was asking the heart question, okay? So, so we're going to talk about it today. And, uh, you know, again, this is the deepest one. Okay, this is, you know, I had, to, I had to handle this. This is above Todd's and Casey's pay grade. They, you know, this is, this is not, 
And, and, I, and, I, and I'm not even going to handle it, as you figured out already. I got called in an expert. But, but the, 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 let me just say this about Todd, Casey, me, whoever you want to look at. Please don't look at, at us. Don't look at me from the outside and go, wow, must be nice. You know, life works out so well for you. Because you got to understand, I got stuff going on in my own life. I have stuff going on in my own life that you don't know about and you'll never know about. Don't be envious of my 35-year marriage or my family or my position in the kingdom of God or my six-pack abs, okay? Don't, don't, because three of those things are true, okay? But, but those three things came about at great price and great suffering, okay? And more importantly, there are other things that you don't even know about that I had great pri- I paid a great price and I had great suffering and they didn't come true. And you, know, you know, it doesn't matter. I'm grateful to God for everything he has given me, and gosh, I am blessed, and I get that. Um, I just want you to know that I have things that I've wrestled with. Todd has things that he's wrestled with. Casey, whoever you hear has things that they've wrestled with. We're just not going to talk about them all the time because we, we want you to hear what we believe about a good God and a powerful God. I, I just know that you think that, you know, the Harlow house has these magic teacups that dance around with the, you know, utensils and their little birdies that help my wife get dressed in the morning and little mice that scamper around and bring her coffee. But that's not true. It's not a fairy tale. However, um, sometimes when it gets to a topic like this, it's really hard for me to get up and talk to you because I know that many of you, most of you, have gone through things that I don't understand. You've gone through things that I, that I would go, man, I, I, don't know, I don't know how you did that. I don't, I, I don't know how you, I believe in a good God and a, and a powerful God, but I don't know how you did that. And so I just I had this... This epiphany this week, I was talking to my friend Davey Blackburn, helping him kind of figure out what his ministry trajectory is going to be going forward and how the things that have gone on in his life is going to work. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me, hey, wait a minute, I'm talking on this subject. Maybe we ought to bring Davey here. And I called him up and, you know, crazy that it worked out. He was able to come and be here this weekend. Davey Blackburn is the pastor from Indianapolis whose wife uh, was pregnant and was murdered in a home invasion several years ago. And as soon as I say that, you know, if you didn't realize already what was going on, your mind clicked in. You remember the story. Uh, you know, he went, he, was, he went to the gym early, early one morning, and these guys broke in, and, and, and this tragedy happened. I got to know Davey after that happened, and, and we've gotten to be good friends. And I thought, you know what? You don't need to hear from me today. You need to hear from him. So would you welcome Davey Blackburn for me? You're, you're a f- fun guy, and we should, you know, joke around, but when I introduce the topic that way, yeah. it's really tricky, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I mean you, you've just got to tell the story and, yeah. and tell how God's gotten you through the things that are going on and, yeah. and, and make it happen. Back yeah. us up and let us know. Um, well, Amanda and I got married in 2008, and we moved to Indianapolis in 2011. To uh, plant a church. To plant a church. Mm-hmm. Felt like God called us to start a church. And, um, we uh, didn't know why. We didn't know a lot of people in the area. We just knew that God called us to plant what we felt like was a, a, a forest, but he dropped us in the middle of a parking lot. You know, planting a church is difficult. It's yeah. hard. Yeah. And so we spent several years grinding in that. And finally, toward the middle of 2015, felt like things were beginning to take off. And um, I went to the gym early uh, November 10th, 2015, and um, came home and walked into my greatest nightmare. Um, 
walked in, in the house and, and saw Amanda sitting on the living room floor, uh, lying face down in a pool of blood. And um, I don't know if you've ever been in a moment like that, that, that traumatic, but it, everything just freezes and goes in fast motion all at the same time. I called the paramedics and felt like it took them an hour to get there mm-hmm. as I was sitting there waiting uh, be- beside her. And, and really later on, we found out it took about two minutes and 40 seconds for them to get there. Yeah. But that's how those things yeah. go. And everything and is swirling Weston. around. And, and Weston was upstairs. Weston's our 15 month old at the time. And he was upstairs in his crib and kind of heard him cooing up there. So I didn't think anything was. I didn't think anything about a home invasion. There were some things that looked out of place, but I couldn't put together what was happening until we got to the hospital. And we are sitting in the waiting room, Weston and I are, and uh, doctors and police officers come in, investigators. And uh, at that point, I knew something was going on. And they informed me that there were three bullet wounds in Amanda. And uh, one was through her arm, and one had grazed over her back, and one was in the back of her head. It was still lodged behind her eye, and so they said, if we, um, we're, gonna, we're gonna see if the swelling goes down, we may be able to operate, but even if we do, she's probably not gonna be the same. Uh, there's been so much brain damage. And so we sat in the hospital and prayed. I mean, over the next 24 hours, prayed uh, big prayers of faith. You know, I, I'm a pastor's kid, so I've seen miracles. I've seen God do some incredible things. You know, I joke around about this. I'm sure you've joked around about this too, that as pastor's kids, oftentimes we grow up with drug problems. We were drugged to church every time the doors were open. You never and heard that, have you? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, we all just have the same five jokes. You got to know it. this. We all swap right? around to email yeah, with each other it, like, hey, that's a good joke. Can it's I use not that? hard, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, and, and growing up, I, was a li- I wouldn't say I was resentful about that, but it was kind of mundane. It was like, oh, why do we have to go to church again? A Monday like board meeting. Yeah. yeah, and, you know, now, though, honestly, I'm so glad that my, my parents did because over the course of my upbringing, there were so many deposits being put into my life, deposits of stories of big faith and people, heroes of the Bible who walked through really difficult things. And I'm telling you, if you're a parent in here, please, please, please keep dragging your kids to church. I'm sure you guys have such an incredible kids program. Well, you don't have to it, drag yeah, them. It, They're probably dragging you to now. church. Like yeah. Kids are dragging the Absolutely. parents here. But, but you'll yeah. never know what yes. kinds of withdrawals they'll need later on in life. And so, man, I'm in the hospital praying big prayers of faith. I prayed for the doctors, thought God was going to sweep a revival across this hospital, that the people who were atheists. You knew all the verses. You knew had all. all the faith. Exactly. And, and 24 hours later, she was declared um, dead. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was November 11th, 2015, which... Um, you could say coincidentally, but I don't believe in coincidences. Uh, coincidentally, providentially, it was four years to the day um, since we had moved to Indianapolis mm-hmm. to start the church. We moved 2011, November 11, 2011, and she passed away November 11, 2015. And, and I say that because in these kinds of journeys, you can, you can look at things and go, wow, that was a coincidence. But I learned something um, a couple years ago that in the Hebrew language, they believed Jewish people in the Old Testament would believe that if it didn't exist in the human language, the concept doesn't exist. And so the word coincidence, they literally have no word for the word coincidence. And so the concept of coincidence does not exist. And so as we walk through life, we can look at things as these random strings of events that just don't make sense at all. Or we can look at things through the lens of a providential God who's not wringing his hands worried about things, who, who he's not surprised by anything. And although we are surprised by it, and although things overwhelm us and they seem over our head, they're still under his feet and he still is good. And he still is God. And, and to be honest with you, that's the only place that I knew to go. 
You know, after stuff like this, I mean, it turns your world upside down, to say the least. Now I'm a single dad um, trying to figure out how to pastor a church and trying to figure out how to, how to heal from my wife being murdered. Now they caught the three guys, and uh, they're, they're going to be standing trial for, um, for this. But, but I'm still left in this carnage of what do I do next? So, so the big question for this, and, and I think you know, it's really important that we grab a hold of it, is, and I want you to talk about the house that, that you mm-hmm. bought, but like, so did God kill Amanda? Mm. That's a good question. That's usually what people wrestle with a lot. And, and I fully don't believe that God caused this. God cannot and does not cause evil to happen. Right. However, he, for whatever reason, did allow it. He could have stopped it. He could have stopped it. Yeah. And that's questions I had to ask, and we all ask that. Well, well, you could have prevented the cancer. You could have prevented the miscarriage. You could have prevented. Why did you not? And, and those are like head, head philosophical, right. theological questions you wrestle with. But like you said earlier, it's got it's to it's move to, the, to yeah. the heart and because you're feeling this even though you know the truth. And I, and I knew the truth. And, and so, you know, for me, I saw God in so many of the details of it. I mean, you just referenced the house. When we first moved to Indianapolis, we knew we needed to buy a house. And so we, we, the first house, after we got a realtor, the first house we look at was, was this house, 2812 Sunnyfield Court. And we, Amanda looks around the house and she comes back she goes this is our house and I'm like okay I've watched Chip and Joanna I know how like this needs <laughs> to go like we don't house. buy the first house you know so we looked around 25 other houses and we came back to this house and she gave me that look that husbands were all too familiar with like I'm right just listen to me I'm oh, always no, you right didn't. you know <laughs> and we put an offer on the house but we're church planters we don't know when our next paycheck is coming and so we put a very conservative like low ball offer on the house going well God if you want us to have this house then you're going to have to perform a miracle and get us this house at this price. And they laughed us off the negotiation table. They said, we've turned down three other offers higher than this. You've got to come back with a much better offer if you're going to want to even entertain this. And we just felt that God had really impressed this certain number on our hearts. And we can't explain why. It just That seemed to be the number that fit within our means. And so we said, that's the number. That's the house. We went back the next day, and we told the realtor. And he was like, are you guys smoking something? What's going yeah. on? And we're like, just put in the same offer. We were trusting the Lord, and uh, they accepted the offer. And that's the house we started our church in. You know, the first people that met Jesus as their Lord and Savior was, were right there in that living room. Mm-hmm. We did kids' ministry back in our master bedroom, put veggie tails on for them, and yeah. we'd crawl into the yeah. sheets at night, and there's goldfish, you know, the, cat, the snack goldfish in our sheets. And, <laughs> you know, the Bible says, don't despise humble beginnings, right? And that's so, right. but beautiful, amazing house dedicated to ministry, brought Weston home to that house. I mean, so many memories, but that was also the house that, that Amanda was murdered in. Yeah. And, 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 and I, I feel like God has to show each one of us at a heart level how he's in these things and how he is not caught off guard by this and how he maybe didn't intervene to prevent this from happening. But I can tell you right now, he always intervenes to produce something good out of it. Scripture tells us in Romans 8, 28, that he works all things together for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And while we may not see it right now in the thick of it, we can rest assured and know that God is producing something out of all of this. And scripture also tells us that this, it says this light and momentary affliction mm. is producing for us a, a weight of glory that far outweighs the affliction that we're feeling right now. And I'm, I can guarantee you, this for me did not feel like light and momentary. 
This felt like absolute hell. World ending. And yeah. world ending. And, and yet, Scripture, the truth tells me that it is producing something beautiful that one day I'll be able to look back on and go, oh, wow, I understand this. But in the moment, you don't feel it. No, no. And sometimes it feels like it's not okay to acknowledge that. Which was Jesus on the cross, as I already Absolutely. Right? And, and it's sometimes in church, we're like, okay, we've got to just kind of gloss it over, put these yeah. pithy, theological phrases to it. Yeah. But I went to, I went to Scripture right after this, and I started reading some things that I had not seen before, even though I grew up reading the Bible, especially in the book of Psalms. And the book of Psalms is written by, most of it is written by this guy, David, who was a man after God's own heart. He's like this warrior poet guy. I've always resonated mm -hmm. with David. And yet it looks like when you read it, it looks like this guy is schizophrenic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's he's some, on this roller coaster yeah, there's thing. some passages he's going, God, I feel you so near to me. Your breath is on my neck. And then the next passage, he's like, where are you? You abandoned me. You get know? off my neck. <laughs> like, give this guy some like medication or something. You know, yeah, it didn't yeah. make sense to me before I had walked through this valley. But then in the middle of my valley, I was like, I totally understand. I know exactly how it feels. Because I knew what it felt like to, to wake up in the morning and have a peace that passes all understanding. Right. And to not understand it myself, and of course people outside of me were going to understand because there was something that the Holy Spirit was doing to me that did not make sense to me where God was just whispering to me going, hey, I've got this. It's okay. It's going to be okay. I understood what it meant to feel like a, a faith and a confidence while I'm standing in front, in front of national television and declaring the goodness yeah, of the Lord yeah. in the land of the living even though all I had experienced was death. But at the same time, I understood how to, what it meant the next morning, the, next the morning. very next morning, right. to wake up and feel so despondent, all I wanted to do was in my life. Yeah. And Scripture's honest about that. Very. David taught. And, it, and, and, I, and I, don't, I don't see God condemning that. No. Us talking about, and I don't think God is, is frustrated with us when we're frustrated with him by any means. In fact, I think he welcomes that. And, and in, he endorses, he put this in the Bible. Mm. Like he could have left all the negative out and just kind of put these like fluffy positive things yeah. in. He didn't. There's, there's story after story after story after story of pain and hardship and yet through it all, God being faithful. I don't know if there's a story in there that doesn't have pain and suffering. No. And that's I what, can't think of one. That's the powerful thing about God intervening in our broken world. There is sin, there is suffering, there is pain because of the fractured nature of sin in our world. Mm. And this is where you have to wrestle with that the, philosophically and theologically. You can go, well, God could have stopped. He, yeah. I mean, he, he, his heart hurt when Amanda was killed more than any of our hearts hurt. She was a daughter of the king. That's right. She was a daughter of the most high God. And yet somehow he in his providence allowed it because I believe he also knew in his foreknowledge that it was going to give life to so many people moving forward. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if I can understand all of that in this. No. We can't. It's you can't, impossible. You can't understand it here. No. I mean, it'd but be we like trust. Jesus, you know, saying, okay, I know why I have right. to die, but why? Right. Take this cup from me. And here's the thing. Oftentimes as human beings, we let our emotions kind of direct us or guide us. Mm. And emotions are giving, given to us not as a guide, but as a gauge. It tells us where we are, not where we're supposed to go. Yeah. But the truth guides us. God's truth in his word, it guides us. And when we begin to put that as the forefront of our lives and let those things be the, the engine to our train, Great. then our emotions will fall in line behind it. And so when I choose faith instead of fear, even though all I do is feel fear, then eventually faith begins to rise up and fear falls in line after that. If I choose forgiveness over bitterness, even though all I feel is bitterness, oh, then I'm going to put faith, I'm going to put forgiveness in front and, and bitterness is going to line up behind that. And so I think that's where we have to wrestle with, but that's, that's not fantastic. how you feel in the beginning. 
when all this stuff is happening. But but here's what, I feel like God showed me some things in Psalm 23 that really helped me to kind of wrap my heart around this. Because Psalm 23 says, it's like the coffee cup verse, right? Like everybody, maybe your grandmother has like the picture of the feathered hair hippie Jesus that passes out suckers and hugs. Like, you know, it's got the Lord is my shepherd. He's holding a lamb, you know, which I hate that picture of Jesus because one, he's not white. Okay, come on, right? I know, I know. And he's he's a warrior, right? Like it says he's coming back, riding on a white horse. And shepherds were bad. They were awesome. I mean, they were awesome, dude. They had to fight off stuff, So they just emasculated Jesus, whatever. It's okay. (laughs) But but I love the verse, you know, Psalm 23, the first three verses are so serene and so peaceful. And it reminds me of good seasons of life. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And th- think about all of this. First one through three is like, okay, as long as I let Jesus take over my life and give him the keys to my life and give my life over to him as my Lord and my Savior and follow him, then all of the holes in my heart will be filled by him and satisfied by him. I will lack for nothing. So where I'm trying to with worldly things, prescription drugs or you know, medication or alcohol or career or relationships or whatever it is we try to fill this God-sized hole in our heart, that falls short, but the Lord our shepherd does not. And, and, and so it keeps talking about these beautiful, like, serene pictures, these pastoral pictures. And it says he makes me lie down in green pastures. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then it says he leads me in passive righteousness, which means he's not just about behavior modification in my life. He actually is about changing me mm-hmm. from the inside out, changing my heart, turning it from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh and giving me the heart of Jesus and be, making me become more like Jesus and changing my affections. This beautiful exchange happens when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. He takes everything bad about us and puts it on him and gives us everything good about him. And we are declared righteous in front of God. It's a beautiful thing. Verse one through three is like up and to the right. Seasons are good. The company's doing well, right? But then verse four happens. Mm -hmm. Verse four says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. In verse four, seasons of life come for every single one of us. There's not one of us in here whose life can't be changed in a moment by a phone call right now. Probably everybody's has. And, and I used to think that, especially growing up in church where you didn't talk about this stuff, I used to think that the valley of the shadow of death was punishment for something I had done wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, we think about that, right? It's like something bad happens and we go, okay, what did I do? What's God trying to, he's smiting me, he's trying to get right. me back. That's one of the first places that we go in our minds. And I looked at this and verse three and verse four are juxtaposed. They're put next to each other for a reason. And I never saw this before. It says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And I went, oh my gosh, what if some of the paths of righteousness that God is leading us into are valleys of the shadow of death? Yeah. What if there are some, some things that in our growth and our walk with Jesus could not otherwise happen unless we went through painful trials and tribulations? And, and that... It blew my mind. I mean, we know that intuitively, right? Physically, I mean, it's like we know the phrase, no pain, no what? Gain, no pain. right? Yeah. I mean, we like to live by the philosophy of no pain, no pain, right? Yeah. It's, it's a great philosophy. But we know that, I mean, I like to work out. You like to work out. If you, if you go to the gym, the only way your muscles grow is by putting them under duress. Mm. That's the only way. You can't do the whole, like, 
ab thing yeah. where you just stick up the, yeah. the, the, the SIM the, you know, machine. The, the thing that you can buy that just vibrates your abs for it's you. It's not going to work. You know? That doesn't work, and it doesn't no. work for your faith either. That's, that's right. That's faith the point. is a muscle. Yeah, the I, only way faith can be built is not by coming in and, and praying and saying, God, deposit faith in me. It's by enduring difficult things, and faith yeah. is being built. When your muscle of faith is being and built. By the way, I've never bought that thing. I'm just saying that <laughs> I heard it. It didn't work. <laughs> So, so it's not the valley of the shadow of death is not punishment for something we've done wrong. It's preparation for an even better future that God has for us. Mm. And that's hard to imagine when you're in the, ma- the middle of the valley of the shadow of death. But these things that come into our lives are not interruptions to our story. This pain and this suffering, it feels like an interruption. Like, hold on, whoa, 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 whoa. God's not surprised by it. It's not an interruption to our story. It's actually an invitation into a greater story to a God-sized story. Mm-hmm. And God's doing something in us to transform us into becoming more like him. And then he's gonna do something through us to share the message of the gospel and spread the kingdom wider and farther than ever before through our pain and our suffering. Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's a few things in this verse that just really stuck out to me, right? The very next, the very next verse in the passage says um, that he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And immediately I felt like that, that God was impressing in my heart, Davey, I want to make you dangerous in this. Because if you think about it, like how dangerous of a dude do you have to be to sit down and dine in the presence of your enemies? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I imagine I love war movies. I love Braveheart and Gladiator and movie 300. 300. Gerard Butler, man. Yeah. He makes a lisp look awesome, right? He's like, he this did. is spot on, you know? And they airbrushed um, his abs too, right, by the way. They, I'm sure they didn't use the sim yeah. thing. <laughs> But, but here's the thing. I imagine when I read this verse, I imagine coming out onto a battlefield, you're surrounded by the enemies, and you, you, you set up a table, and you go, okay, before I open up a can of whoop butt on you, I'm going to open up a can of Chef Boyardee right here. You know, like, that's a dangerous dude right there. He's not concerned about what's surrounding him, and here's why. Because he knows that what surrounds what surrounds him is greater than what surrounds him. And yep. this, is, this is the truth of God's word, yep. that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. No weapon formed against me can prosper right. because of the Holy Spirit of God that lives inside of each one of us as believers. And so this right here is a dangerous dude that sets up and dines in the presence of his enemies. Reminds me of the guy who wrote three quarters of the New Testament, mm-hmm. the Apostle, Apostle Paul. Paul. He said a phrase, he said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And I never understood what that meant until I walked through oh, this. Man, yeah. And now I realize, wait, he's saying, if I'm going to live, life is, life is hard. The trick is not to try to make life easy. That's where we go wrong. You and I have the same counselor, and he told me that don't try to make life easy. Life is not easy. The, the trick is to live well in a difficult world. Right. And Paul goes, I've had a difficult world. I've been beaten. I've been flogged. I've been put in prison. I've been shipwrecked. He goes, but as long as I'm going to live... I'm going to share the gospel of Jesus because to live is Christ. And if you want to kill me, the worst, day, the worst day of my life would be to die, right? But that's the best day of my life because that means I get to be with Christ. And that's a different perspective on life. It doesn't change your circumstances. And that was Amanda's perspective. That was Amanda's perspective. And Amanda is with Christ. I'm going to tell you right now, people will talk about, uh, you know, these three men taking her life. And, and, I, and I stop and I go, you know what, from a worldly perspective, it looks like it, but long before someone took her life, she had already laid down her life. Wow, that's good. She had already yeah. given her life to the cause of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, I, and I don't fully, you know, I, I have wrestled through, and I've written several blog posts about, you can go read on our website about how I've had to wrestle through God, just, just 
I feel like disclosing to me that he was protecting her in that moment. Mm. There's so much reality that we don't have, to, we don't have time to get into, but I, I know that God was there with her in her valley of the shadow of death in that moment. I know that there is not a, another place she would have wanted to be than the arms of Jesus right, in that moment. Course. And so, so I can trust God, the good father, in that. But, but I know that, th- that our, our circumstances don't change by God's truth, but our perspective on our circumstances do. Right. You know, um, a, a symbol that's been powerful for us has been a sword, the Braveheart sword specifically. That was Amanda's favorite movie. It's my favorite movie. And um, when, I, when we were engaged, I, I gave her a sword for Valentine's Day, <laughs> one of these Braveheart swords. She was away hey, at... Valentine's Day's coming up, guys. I know. <laughs> Did you get it on Amazon? There's a single dude who's like, Braveheart yeah. sword. Ooh. Okay. You know, like, <laughs> right. It's good. You imagine she's away at school. She's Actually, in her dorm after room. he explains it, you may want to. Go, <laughs> go, go ahead and explain the rest yeah, of the story. Yeah, she's, she's in her dorm room. All of her roommates are around, shipped this oblong <laughs> box, and they're like, wow, this bouquet of flowers. She pulls out a Braveheart sword, you know. But, but inside, there is this poem that's called The Fight. And I, I wrote this poem to her, and I'd burned the edges to make it look like papyrus scroll. And, and, I, and basically it said, um, I'm, I promise for the rest of my life to fight for your heart. And, and I'm asking you to join me in the greatest fight of all time, and that's for the hearts of people who don't know Jesus. And when we got married, she walked down the aisle on a first look. I don't know if you guys have ever seen this, but with the, the auditorium clear, she walked down just for me so I could see her first. And she had something behind her back that she was holding, and she got to me, and she presented another Braveheart sword. And she said, today I'm joining you in the fight. And this has become a powerful image because I think it shows us a great metaphor of pain in our lives. Mm. The way a sword is fashioned is by a swordsmith or a blacksmith, and he puts a piece of metal in temperatures upwards of 2,800 degrees Fahrenheit, and then pulls it out, puts it on an anvil, and he begins to hammer this piece of metal. And if you're personifying feelings onto the sword, you're not saying that this is a walk in the park or a day at the spa. That's not, this hurts. And, And it's hammered and it's hammered. Why? Because it has to make sure it's not too brittle to go into battle. It's trying to, to fashion this thing into a weapon. And, and I imagine that when we walk through pain, pain and suffering is a result of the enemy, our real enemy, Satan, an enemy in the spiritual. And when he's hammering our life, what he's trying to do is he's trying to distract us from our calling. He's trying to destroy us. He's trying to discourage us. But, but, but what, God, what God's going to do out of that is what the enemy meant to destroy us, God's going to use to make us dangerous. He's fashioning us into a ferocious warrior. He's Wielding us as a weapon, he's making us into someone who is effective for the kingdom of God. And you might say, well, Davey, how are you, how is this dangerous? Let me tell you how. Because in the kingdom of, there's kingdom of light, kingdom of darkness. In the spiritual battle that we are in, every time I share Amanda's story and share the goodness of God in it, people meet Jesus. And when people meet Jesus, we're snatching them up right. out of hell, out of the enemy's hands. And that every time is a swift kick in the groin to the enemy. That's right. It's an amazing right. thing to be a part of. And so I feel like that he was like, hey, I'm I'm making you dangerous. I'm making you dangerous. You know what? Something that really struck me, I think, too, was um, you think of Amanda made some really great chocolate chip cookies. And I asked her one time, what's the secret of these cookies? And she kind of, we're in our house by herself, right? And she kind of looks around as if there's like cameras. Like it's like this family (laughs) recipe. Super secret recipe. Yeah. And she said, "I, I double the sugar. 
I'm like, well, no, no, right? Of course. And, and I thought about that later after she passed away. And I'm like, you know, that's how we want life to be is double the sugar. Yeah. But the reality of making a great chocolate chip cookie is that you've got two types of ingredients, ingredients that you would never eat by itself. Right. You'd never eat flour. flour. Yeah. You'd never have a raw egg. Yeah. You know, when yeah. I was a lad, I ate four dozen eggs. Rocky, you know, Gaston. I'm, I have a four-year-old and a five-year-old, so I'm living in Disney World right now, you know. But you'd never eat those things, baking soda, none of that. But yeah. you would eat icing or chocolate chips. Or, so there's good and bad. There's sweet and bitter that, that when you put them together and you mix them up and you put them in the oven and you give it time and temperature, Come on, God is the master mm, chef true. of our lives. Yeah. And he takes the bad, the bitter, and the good, and he puts them together. He mixes it all up. That's what scripture means when it says he works all things together mm. for the good. Mm. And then you let him put it in the oven of his timing. It comes out something Beautiful. And you know what's interesting is you can even, if you study it, you can even see the purposes behind the flower. You can even see the purposes sure. behind flowers. It could dry you up. Sometimes yeah. we go into the flower type situations and it feels like a dry season. But what flower actually does is it causes the cake or the cookies to rise. Come on, what dries you up or what you think dries you up is actually the seasons that mm -hmm. cause you to rise. Mm -hmm. There are some beautiful, beautiful purposes in the bitter bitter times of our life if we will look at those through a God-sized perspective and wait for him to redeem our story. And coming from you, that means a lot, man. Tell us the continuing <laughs> saga of Davy Blackburn and Weston. Well, I, I honestly believe that God wants redemption for all of us. I think that is his ultimate goal for every one of us is yeah. redeeming the stories that are in our lives. And um, it was uh, about a year after Amanda passed. I knew that, and, and in fact, Amanda's dad was the first one that came to me and said this, said, hey, you operate much better with a wife. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what are you saying? You know? yeah. And um, he said. Uh, what he's saying is you can't take <laughs> care of my grandkid I think that's what he's saying. And Weston <laughs> needs a mom. And so he said, I'm praying that God brings somebody into your life. So I began praying open-handedly too. And um, I met this, this girl. Her name's Christy. I met her at the gym. It was the first time that since Amanda passed, I saw somebody and I was like, whoa. And I was very intrigued by her. But I didn't know anything about her. We met at the gym, right? So I didn't know if she loved Jesus. Yeah. I didn't know if, you know. So I kind of make my way over nonchalantly to this stretching group of her and some other folks. And they were talking about a KB concert they had gone to. KB's a Christian rap artist. And I'm like, okay. She likes Christian rap. That's a good sign, you know. And so then several circumstances, you know, led to uh, several of these folks coming to our church about a month later, and then she started serving in our inner city ministry, which blew my mind because she'd walk into our church on Sundays, and she's like, we call, it, we call them Carmel Moms. She was, you know, walking in with her, with her daughter, three-year-old at the time, and she's got these heels on. She's looking all put together and poised, you know, and I'm like, who is this Carmel Mom that's walking through and then going and serving in our inner city, getting her hands dirty by cleaning out gutters for these old ladies. I mean, just amazing, remarkable, and I was so intrigued by her, but she avoided me like the plague. She didn't want to have anything to do with me. And so finally in January of 2017, I very uh, pastorally corner her at our CrossFit <laughs> gym. And I'm like, hey, what's your story? Like you've been coming to my church for a long time. What's your story? And she t tells me her story, how she spent several years on the mission field after college. And I was like, oh, that's why you are serving in our inner city. And she said, well, yeah, but also my stepdad lives in that neighborhood that you guys serve in. And I was like, wait, wait. By choice, because yeah. this is a rough, I mean, 40% right. vacancy, boarded up homes, high, high crime rate. Yeah. 
And he said, she said, yeah, he has for the past 17 years. He feels like that's his ministry. And everything that you guys are doing in your inner city ministry is what our family has been praying for for years. I said, wow, that's crazy. Well, you know, the reason we do that is because of our, our story and the way Amanda was killed. And we want to intercept kids and teenagers before they step into that life of crime. And she goes, yeah, I know. We're really connected to your story. And, um, but I don't, know, I don't know if you want to know how. And I'm like, well, tell me. She said, my stepdad is the chaplain for Marion County Prison System. And he has regular conversations with the guys who killed Amanda. And man, I just, I was like, what? And these are those moments where I believe that in every one of our stories, God shows up and personally, personally ministers to us. Because what I was praying for was, God, would you, if you ever bring me another wife, would you bring me someone who loves you more than she loves me? Mm. That she loves me, that she loves Weston, and she loves Amanda. And she'd be willing to carry out for the rest of our lives this story of nothing is wasted. And um, when she told me that, I was like, God, you are, you're up to something. And I wish I had some kind of spiritual answer for her in that moment. But all I could think to say was, do you want to go grab dinner? <laughs> but we started, we started dating. And um, about, a, about a year later, we got, a year ago, we got married. And this is, our, this is our family. We blended a family. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And um, thank you. She's awesome. You don't, you don't understand. It's like a tapestry, mm. you know, and, and it, you're working on a tapestry on the backside and everything looks really disheveled and it doesn't make any sense. But when you flip it over, it's yeah. a masterpiece. Yeah. And God is the best author there is. And I believe that if we just follow the good shepherd, even through the valley of the shadow of death, if he leads us to it, he'll see us through it. And he will write a beautiful story because nothing is wasted in our pain. Will you thank Davey for me? Thanks, bud. So uh, stay standing because we're going to, I'm going to have Davey pray for us. We're going to do communion together. We're, we got a killer Lauren Daigle song you're going to listen to as they pass the trays. And, uh, and then we're going to close out the service. I just want you to know um, that, that we want to be here for you. We want to help you, whatever your story is, whether it's the stuff that we don't know, or maybe it's the stuff that, that we do. We want to help you. We want to, we want to be there for you. And if you're exploring the faith, um, and you get to this point and you're like, I don't know, if I, am I welcome here? What am I supposed to do? And some of you grew up where you had to be a part of the certain group of people to be able to have communion. I don't believe that's what Jesus gave us communion for. I believe he gave it to us. He said, whenever you get together, do this in remembrance of me. So if you're a believer, you're welcome to commune with us. There's going to be trays that come across, two cups, one inside the other one. Just take them both out and hold them for a second and we'll do this in unison. And I mean, if the door is cracked open and you can say, God... I don't know who you are. I don't get all this, Jesus. I don't get all this, but, but my heart is open to you. I think you should commune with us right now. Yeah. And please don't forget that that piece of bread represents the body of Christ that was broken for you. And that, that juice represents the blood of Christ that was shed for you because yeah. he loves you so much. He went through suffering. Right. He hung on the cross right. and, 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 and went through that pain for us because that's the only way we could be redeemed. Right. That's the only way that we could come back to the Father and be in relationship with him. And surely goodness and mercy will follow that's us right. all the days of our life. 
and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever because yeah, of that. That's right. So David's going to pray for us. We're going to let you sit down after that and listen to this song, and let's close out. Yeah. Thanks, man. Jesus, we just ask right now that you would minister to us in the way that only you can. God, would your Holy Spirit move in this place? Would it be present and real to every one of us? You are, you are ever present in our time of need. And so I pray that that would be reality for each one of us. Help us to remember that you're not aloof. You're not far off. You're not looking at us wondering how we're going to get out of our valley. But God, you are walking with us in our valley. That God, you sent your son, Jesus, to suffer and die on our behalf. You were broken for us, Jesus, so that, so that we could be blessed. So God, I pray that that would be a reminder to us. And whatever business we need to do with you right now, would you just draw our hearts to you? Would you open our hearts to you? And would you do some really great work of healing in each one of our hearts right now? In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.